We'll get started. It's nine o'clock, and uh, we are going to finish Nahum. How many have read Nahum during this time? Spent time to sit down and look I've at. Read through it. I'm not going to say I spent a lot. Okay. Uh, I, I just as a, a a quick statement about it. You look at chapters two and three, and actually the all all of Nahum, but chapters two and three. Uh, the phrases are short, direct, very picturesque from the standpoint of giving you a, a good solid picture of what's going on, and it really gives you a feeling of movement, at least in me, of, of action going on. Uh, uh, if you've ever, movie makers are understanding that now, if you want to show chaos in a battle scene, you just clip short pictures that of what's going on around and it builds up that that feeling of it and I get the same feeling in chapter two definitely and in, to some extent in chapter three but chapter two when there's talking of the actual fall of Nineveh it's the the picture he, he paints is is um, is really vivid but we'll get to that in a few minutes well as I was saying a little bit about it uh, chapter two paints a very vivid picture of what was in store for Assyria. Uh, remember, Assyria is the dominant empire in the Middle East at this time. Babylon is a vassal state. Uh, the Chaldeans uh, the, um, and the other people around that area further to the south are vassal states. Uh, if you were to look at the, uh, see if I can draw today, I doubt if I can, but if you look at uh, the Fertile Crescent, well, I can't write, we're going to have to something. See if, if you look at the Fertile Crescent, as it's called, which is, you got the, the Tigris River, the Euphrates River, down here is Babylon, uh, over here is Jerusalem, Nineveh is up here. So it's in the, uh, in the north, about 400 miles. It's in Iraq. It's about 400 miles from, uh, from, uh, from Baghdad. And it's a village now. But Nineveh here is, was the preeminent city in the area. And God has, has said that I've had enough of you. And so the army of Assyria and sort of hunkered down in, in the capital of Nineveh, and attackers are approaching. Now, of course, there's all sorts of fortified cities surrounding the area, and we'll get to what's going to happen, what those fortified cities are in, uh, in God's hands. And the Babylonians, sometimes, and the Chaldeans, the Medes, uh, the Persians, all the p other people in this region have been fighting battles trying to free themselves from the empire of, uh, of, of Assyria, which, whose main capital, main city is Nineveh. So, Nineveh. Well, at one point, Nineveh was the largest city in the world, maybe, one of the largest, certainly the largest city in the Middle East. Uh, it had a population at its height, of between 100 to 150,000. And the size of the city itself was about seven square miles. 
and you got 100,000 to 150,000 people in it. Um, by our standards today, that's not too big, but by their standards, that was a um, big city. That was a large population, certainly larger than Babylon and all the people around, elsewhere around it. Uh, it was short-lived greatness for the city. Uh, the, Assyrian, not, the Assyrian Empire built itself up over hundreds and hundreds of years. But the city of Nineveh was made into a capital city, you might say, a showpiece type of city, uh, during the time of Shennacherib. Now, we remember Shennacherib. He was the one that came to, uh, uh, had his army uh, taken out Samaria, up in this area, uh, and had then come down 20 years later into Judah and had taken out its fortified cities and laid siege to Jerusalem and sent a messenger to Hezekiah and in that mess that messenger blasphemed God basically uh, he compared God to no better than any other of the gods in any of the other cities they've conquered and he was very very uh, dismissive of the Lord and the Lord said, he's, don't worry about it. He's blasphemed me. I'll take care of this. And so how does God take care of this? Well, that's what Nahum's about. So, back to the city of um, Nineveh. Um, its greatness was short-lived around 627 after the death of the last great king of Assyria, the Assyrian Empire, Ashurbanipal. Uh, the Neo-Assyrian Empire, as it's called, uh, began to come apart, it seems. Uh, constant civil wars, battles for who's going to rule it, uh, one short-lived king after another uh, as the time comes to the end, and the bitter civil wars uh, uh, made them weak, and about 616, it was attacked by its former vassals, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, the Medes, Persians, Scythians, and Chimerians. I'm not who, sure who they are, but uh, they were also part of that group. Uh, in about 616, uh, Kalu was sacked. That was one of their major fortified cities. And the allied forces that were aligned against, against it eventually reached Nineveh, besieging the city, and then finally sacking the city in, in uh, 612. Uh, this followed by, it was followed by bitter house-to-house -house fighting, after which it was raised, and most of the people of the city who, had, uh, who could not escape uh, to the last Syrian, Assyrian strongholds, they were either slaughtered or deported. Uh, out of the city and into the countryside, some of them founded new settlements. Uh, in, in the archaeologists and digging found many unburied skeletons scattered throughout the archaeological site. Uh, the Assyrian Empire finally came to an end about 605 BC, and it's about uh, it, there's a space of time that we had to recognize that inaccuracies, but at any rate, about 605 when the Medes and the Babylonians divided it up 
the empire. Nineveh was truly a magnificent city made of, uh, during the reign of Shennacherib. Uh, a few of uh, generations after the time of Jonah. At the time of Jonah, Nineveh was not as large a city or as powerful a city or as magnificent a city. It was a lot smaller. And that was, that was about 30, 40 years before. But Shennacherib built it up. And during that time, he laid out streets, squares, uh, and uh, made a magnificent palace for himself. Uh, the city itself was about seven and a half square miles uh, on the Tigris and Kosher rivers. Uh, so the Tigris would flow down here, and the Kosher comes right through the middle of the city. And uh, the city lays right on the river. One, the, uh, the northwestern side was the major palace for Shennacherib. And so there, the city itself has 11, had 12 gates, 15 gates, excuse me, uh, around it. And the river passed right through the northern section of the river kosher, went right through the northern section. Um, Let's see, um, by the time uh, you reached, uh, by the time the, the city was raised, uh, it was not completely abandoned. Um, Herodotus, a Greek historian, about 400 BC, uh, saw Nineveh was a, as a thing of the past. And when Xenophon, uh, a, a Greek general, passed by the place in the 4th century BC, he described it as abandoned. So that's what happened to Nineveh. What we're going to see in chapter 2 is the prophecy about what's going to happen to Nineveh. And I'm going to read a little bit of it because I think it's just, uh, well, one, I, I just find it uh, as very compelling uh, commentary. It starts out with, uh, in chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 2. An attacker advances against you, Nineveh. Guard the fortress. Watch the road. Brace yourselves. Marshal all your strength. And then he has a short interlude in verse 2. The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of evil. Israel, though destroyers have laid them waste and have ruined their finds. And then he gets back to Nineveh. The shields of the soldiers are red, the warriors are clad in scarlet. The metal of the chariot flashes on this day that they're ready, they are ready, they are made ready. The spears of juniper are brandished. The chariots storm through the streets, rushing back and forth through the squares. They look like flashing torches. They dart like lightning. Nineveh summons her picked troops. Yet they stumble on their way. They dash to the wall. The protective shield is put in place. And we'll, we'll stop there. What, I've, what you find here, uh, at least I, I find it, just these short, crisp statements being made. Of the, and it shows you some of the chaos that's going on there. It's quite a visual. Yeah, it is. Quite a visual. And uh, it's, it's one of, uh, this is, this is um, not modern warfare, this is Iron Age warfare. You lay siege to a place till they get weak, 
then you breach a wall, and in the meantime, in the city, it's chaos. Um, got a hundred, maybe a hundred thousand people in seven and a half square miles, and they're surrounded by an enemy. <clears throat> they can't cut off the water, by the way, because there's the river runs right through the middle of the city. Uh, there's a gate protecting that river from entry from that river, but there's a river runs right through the, through it, and another one that's running right alongside it. Uh, water, and they have about three or four canals that lead water into the city. There's, but they're trapped. Hundred thousand people trapped inside seven and a half square miles. What's the feeling, these people? Here they see their army flashing by them and their splendid uniforms, uh, which were probably just a cloth around their, around their waist. Uh, in their chariots and the wheels are just shining, they're brand new, with their spears as they rush to the, to the walls, the best troops going to the walls. How are the people feeling? Well, what's going to happen? If we pick up where we were, the river gates are thrown open and the palace collapses. It is decreed that Nineveh be exiled and carried away. Her female slaves moan like doves and beat their breasts. Nineveh is like a pool whose water is draining away. Stop! Stop, they cry, but no one turns back. So, the people, you, you get the vision of the terror in the, that the people must be going through. They, they come through the gate by the river. They flood in, and slaughter starts happening. People are in terror. What, are they, what do people in, in terror do? Run. Run. Do they stand around and wait for orders? They run. When the line's broken through and the city's finally breached, what happens? Just chaos. They mention the, the female slaves just moaning, uh, just the horror of it. And then the people start streaming out. Remember, there's 15 gates in the city. What do you, it's been breached. Everybody that can is just trying to escape through the gates. So even though they say, stop, stop, we, you know, like a pool with a bunch of holes in it, the population streaming out. So that's the first thing that's happening now. What happens next when you in a city that's fine, that's been laid siege and finally the walls are breached? Plunder. We've all seen the pirate movies when they finally break into the city. Well, that's about what you got here. So they're plundering. Plunder the gold. Plunder the silver. The supply is endless. The wealth from all its treasures. She's pillaged, plundered, stripped. Hearts melt, knees give way, bodies tremble, every face grows pale. This is what happens when the walls are breached. 
This is what's going to happen to Jerusalem. We, we didn't mention it uh, too much, but in Jeremiah and Lamentations, we see some of the same kind of terror when the walls are finally breached and an army that's been sitting around your gates for maybe a year or two years. And I think that's probably how long the, that Nineveh was besieged before they broke through the gates. And they come pouring in. <clears throat> Hearts melt, knees give way, bodies tremble, every face grows pale. Where now is the lion's den, the place where they fed their young, when the, where the lion and the lioness went, and the cubs with nothing to, to fear? Where is it? Well, they're gone. The lion, of course, is, is Nineveh. And their population is the cubs and the lionesses. And as long and where are they? This lion that used to terrorize all the cities in this region and bring their wealth, strip them of wealth, strip them of people, drag them in. Where is that now? Gone. The lion killed enough for his cubs and strangled the prey for his mate, filled his lairs with the kill of his dens with the prey. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. Remember, this isn't Babylon, this isn't the Chaldeans, the Medes, the Persians. This is God. It's his army, which is to say he has roused this army to come and do this work for him. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar, a few years after this, is the uh, called the servant of God, by God, by, his prop, by God's prophet. I'm against you. I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword will devour your young lions. I will leave you no prey on the earth. The voices of your messengers will no longer be heard. Remember the messengers. They came down and blasphemed God. And he said, that's it. We're done. The voice of the messengers is not going to be heard again. I'm against you. God declares, and you will be totally destroyed. Then we go into chapter 3, which is the, which really is um, a summary, a litany, at the beginning of, of, uh, of Assyria's brutality. Uh, remember, this, these weren't nice people, the Assyrians. They were not nice people. Uh, they when they destroyed a city, they destroyed a city. Men, women, children, didn't matter, they killed them all. Except for the ones that, they, that were valuable enough for them, artisans, and high-ranking people, and they would take them in chains back to Assyria and scatter them through their empire. And then they'd replace. Uh, the Babylonians learned from them, and they continue that same kind of behavior. Um, so we find the beginning of chapter 3 starts with a description of what, and they say the city, and that's of course Nineveh, but Nineveh stands for Assyria. So, 
Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. So the war is the, the, the uh, city or the Assyria. It's a city of blood with lies, full of plunder, and never short of victims. It's got the whole area to victimize, and it does. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, spears many casualties, piles of dead bodies without number, people stumbling over corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute alluring, the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. It's a city of war. Everything that it has, it's done. It has because it's stolen it from other people who it's slaughtered. It has a lust for power, like a prostitute has a lust for sex, alluring people like a sorceress. It's an enslaver of nations. That's what Assyria is. That's what Nineveh, the, the, um, the symbol for Assyria is. That's the way God is describing them. That's the litany of what they've done. Verse 7, oh, we'll, uh, verse 5 and 6. I'm against you. That's the second time he said that. Declares the Lord Almighty. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the, naked, the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will pelt you with filth. I will treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. So, um, he's the God is telling him, first, I'm against you. And he's going to take and lift, like, like with a woman, lift their skirts up and show the whole world her naked body. So, in this case, the whole world, what's underneath all this seeming power? And what's underneath it is nothing and scattered with filth. God is pelting him with filth. This is what, what he's showing to the nations. He's humiliating Assyria and showing con utter contempt for it and showing the world how little she is, how little she is in the hands of God, in the hands of the true God of creation. She's nothing. Verse 7 and is, uh, is one that I think, and, and we need to look at uh, to understand fully Assyria and how the people around them felt about Assyria. All who see you will flee, all who see you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is in ruins. Who will mourn for her? Where can I find anyone to comfort you? No one, actually, Pretty much the opposite. 
everyone cheering. Finally, they they got their their uh, comeuppance, you might say. They finally they finally were repaid for all that they have done for the last hundred hundred and fifty years. Finally, it's come, and so this is repeated and also in the at the end of the the very end of of this, and we'll come back to it later. But I want to I'll read it anyway. Um, who will hear the news about you? All who hear the news about you, clap their hands at your fall. Who's not felt your endless your endless cruelty? Well, then he goes on to discuss what's going to happen to uh, to Nineveh. We see in chapter two it's going to be raised. It's going to be taken over, crashed. The gates have been broken in, been plundered, being sacked. And so he begins by looking back in the Assyrian at the Assyrians' history. Chapter uh, verse eight. Are you better than Thebes, situated on the Nile, with water around her? Remember that that uh, a river surrounding your your city is a natural boundary that's hard to cross with an army. Uh, and so they're saying we've got the rivers surrounding us. We're protected by the rivers. Are you any better than Thebes, situated on the Nile? Thebes, uh, capital of, uh, of Egypt at the time, you got Thebes here, and the Nile River runs all around it. And the Egyptians saying, well, we're protected by the river, uh, which for them was a god or goddess, I figure. They were situated in Nile, water around her. With that water a def was her defense. Well, how did it work? That for their defense, they had, the Egyptians at Thebes had the river protecting them from easy access to the city, and they also had allies. They had the uh, the, the people from Cush and Put, and then the uh, Libyans. They were all allied with them, and they're all there, ready ready to fight the Assyrian army. Uh, are you better than Thebes, situated on the Nile with water around here? The river was her defense. The waters her wall. Cush and Egypt were boundless strength. Were her boundless strength. Put and Libya were among her allies. Yet she was taken captive and went into exile. It didn't stop the Assyrian army. They breached it, sacked it, and what did the and how did they? What did they do when they sacked it? Thebes infants were dashed to pieces at every street corner. Lots were cast for the noble for her nobles, and all her great men were put in chains, led off to Assyria uh, to help them build their city better, bigger, and better. Uh, 
you too will become drunk. You will go into hiding and seek refuge from the enemy. Just as after they were sacked, uh, after they sacked Thebes, the, the Thebeans just sort of got drunk and hid. It was just complete depression and sorrow, and they, and they were hiding. That's going to happen to you, Nineveh. So you think that your walls, your, your rivers, and uh, your uh, armies are going to protect you? The Tigris and the Kosher rivers, they won't protect uh, uh, Nineveh. Just as the people of Thebes, you'll get drunk and, fall, and for, to forget the fall of the city and look for some place to hide. And this is what the Lord is going to do. Remember, the army is not Babylon's. The army is God's. He's raised this army from the people around them. Verse 13 begins, look at your troops. Oh, no, 12. I need to go back one. Um, of course, you have fortress cities all around the area. Well, how did those fortress cities hold up? Um, all your fortresses are like fig trees with their first ripe fruit. When they're shaken, the figs fall to, into the mouth of the eater. So all your fortified cities just fell like figs on a fig tree. You give it a little shake, and now I open up my mouth and it lands to me. That's what's so much for your fortified cities. They're all gone, now it's just you. Look at your troops. They're all weaklings. This is the Assyrian army. This is the foremost army in the Middle East. This is the army that everyone fears. This is the army that has done damage to every people for a thousand miles. The army, they're all weaklings. They can't stand up to the army that God has assembled, and they can't stand up to God. The gates to your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has consumed the bars of your gates. So all the gates are now open. Fires are, spread, are spreading throughout the city. There, the fire will consume you. The sword will cut you down. There, they will devour you like swarms of locusts. How does uh, locusts, we discussed this a few weeks ago when they come through land, you got in front of the locust green, in the back of the locust brown. Total destruction in front of it. Well, the army will devour you like a swarm of locusts. Everything, every last thing that is there will be devoured. Every last thing in your city will be stripped and taken. Um, multiply like grasshoppers. Multiply like locusts. You have increased the number of your merchants till they are more numerous than the stars in the sky, but the locusts, but like locusts, 
they strip the land and then they fly away. So all your merchants from every land, thousands of miles away, bringing trade into your city. Well, they're sort of like the locusts. They, they come in, they, they're doing great business, but by golly, when, when the sun comes out or it gets real cold or whatever, they scatter. They move on to the next place. The images are just, are, are just unbelievably vivid. Your guards are like locusts. Your officials like swarms of locusts that settle in the walls on a cold day, but when the sun appears, they fly off, and no one knows where. So this is what's happening. The armies have breached the walls. They've come in. They've destroyed everything. They've plundered it. It's burning. They're burning it to the ground. Uh, those people that were able to escape were fortunate. Those that aren't are either killed, slaughtered on the streets, or they're dragged out in chains and populated elsewhere. Maybe made slaves. Maybe made. Uh, maybe just allowed to to start a small village over here and and farm as best you can. It's total destruction. And it's not much different from Jerusalem it's going to happen in another hundred years. Actually, not even a hundred years. About 50, 40, 50 years. It's total destruction. So, he finishes it off. Verses 18, 19. King of Assyria, your shepherds slumber and your nobles lie down to rest. And they don't mean they're taking a nap. Your leaders, your rulers are dead. And your nobles are dead. Your people are scattered on the mountains with no one to gather them. Those that survived and were able to escape are just scattered in the countryside. Nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. This is a final death toll. No, the, as God tells him, you're gone. All who hear the news about you will clap their hands at your fall. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? So that's what's going to happen to Nineveh. This is probably foretold about 20, 30 years before the fall, but I'm, um, what books I'm saying, and I, I tend to agree that, it's, that uh, this was all around 630 B.C., that this book, that the, this prophecy or visions were made, and that uh, just 20 to 30 years later, we see the result, and we see what happens, and it's just like it. I, I don't, I'm not very, uh, call it tech savvy, I'm not very tablet savvy that I can use it, but I have just a, a few of, for those who have better eyesight than I do, here's a fanciful picture, painting, uh, from the 19th century of what Nineveh would look like with a river flowing here, whether that's the kosher or the, uh, uh, the kosher or the, uh, or the uh, Tigris, I'm not sure, and magnificent palace and temples and just a beautiful walled city. Um, 
1919, this is what the village of Nineveh looks like. We couldn't see the other one. Oh. Well, you can, I couldn't you see can the other one. You can pass it around if you like. Um, the, it was a tell, which means a big mound that formed on top of where the city was. Uh, in all probability, the Tigris has, has left. I'm not sure. It's on the Kosher River. Kosher River. Uh, Kosher? I'm not sure how you pronounce it. River. Uh, in Iraq. It's uh, the Tigris, like the Euphrates. You know, the, the Euphrates used to go through Babylon. Well, it doesn't anymore. It moved, not Babylon, the river. Uh, the Tigris probably has moved a little since then, too. Um, so, regardless, uh, the picture of the, the fanciful painting, uh, the romantic painting of, of Nineveh versus a photograph of the, uh, the actual ruins as it is now. There's nothing left. But they have found, actually, not nothing left. Uh, they found the walls, uh, the foundations to the walls uh, for the palaces, and they found a lot of artifacts and beautiful uh, statuary and uh, give you some idea of the magnificence of it. Uh, it's not from Nineveh, it's from Babylon, actually, uh, but the, uh, uh, in the German uh, museum, the Pergamon, they rebuilt out of the rubble um, a part of the uh, of uh, the Ishtar Gate of Babylon, and it's just beautiful. And this is just a part of the Babylonian, and the Babylonians were just copying what they what was in Nineveh. So it was a magnificent city, but uh, it, God was was against it. Remember. They blasphemed God, and he said, your time will come. I will, t As he told the Hezekiah, basically, I'll take care of it. He'd take care of it immediately, but this is, you know, 60, 70 years later, and he takes care of it permanently and finally. So that's um, the book of Nahum. Uh, if anybody have any questions, I'll be happy to answer them. Otherwise... Uh, we'll we'll let out about 10 minutes early. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.